Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. As always, Martin Kellner joined us with a week of, of sport on TV. Some good guests too. We certainly did. James Graham came in to see us, the playwright, the uh, the the writer of Dear England, the play in the West End. Kel Matsena, he's playing Raheem Sterling. He joined him in the studio to chat about the play. Uh, and the great Steve Collins, two-weight world champion, popped in to tell us about an excellent new documentary which uh, focuses on his uh, first fight with Chris Eubank. So Steve was great, some great anecdotes. So we hope you enjoy. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. One of my pet hates in sport... Oh, yeah. ...is the Pravda-style social media feeds of football clubs and sporting bodies when the team's lost. So, for example, Chelsea, all last season, every time they lost, they went, not our day. Yeah. Oh, shut up. That's right. We go again. We go again. The last thing you want from your social media (laughs) team is that phrase, not our day, we go again. Exactly. No one's interested. We're not interested in you going again or it not being... We saw it wasn't your day as you stunk the place out. We wanted you to go this day, not the next week. I know what you mean. And this classic from England cricket yesterday. Vote for your favourite World Cup moments. Oh, yeah. As if that's going to make up for one of the worst performances ever. It's pathetic. I did, I did feel for our good friends at Now TV or in uh, Today's Sun. Uh, I was obviously booked an ad to, uh, to get Now TV for the Cricket mm-hmm. World Cup. Oh, yeah. On the page, the headline is Dead to the World. England look a pathetic shadow of 2009. Then it's a right shoeing from our old mate John Etheridge. Uh, and then in the bottom right hand corner, catch the World Cup cricket. And there's Ben Stokes, Josh Butler, and Moeen Alley. Oh, can't wait. Enticing you. <laughs> there's yeah. something very interesting about yesterday's defeat, though, that England's pathetic innings mm. ended with exactly 100 balls to spare. There's something really ironic about that, given yeah. the 100 that caused it. The 100, that's right. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, that was true. Um, mm. Anyway, we've been here in there. We, we we got some of the fans mm. of Chelsea and Wolves to tell myself and oh, Perry yesterday what terrible. they made of the Christmas Eve. Is it thin end of the wedge for you? How do you feel? It's a lunchtime kickoff. I mean, you'll watch it, won't you? Um, well, or, yeah. It's a Sunday. What would you normally do, be doing Sunday Christmas well, Eve? Yeah, it's, normally we're working Christmas Eve and then I go home and we do the preparation and the family come around and we do the prep for the food and yeah. everything that we do. So I suppose we'll do that in the afternoon. I suppose they'll come around and we will have it on in the background but yeah. I just think it, it, it's 
it smacks of the Premier League not giving a damn about the fans. They, yeah. they can say they can pay lip service, but you know, in the end, if they get a regulator, these these will be the reasons why they get lumbered with an independent regulator yeah. because that is just poor. Why not pick a derby as well where fans don't have to travel? Wouldn't that make more sense? Make it like Chelsea Brentford or something, you know, a non controversial derby or. Yeah. Fulham against uh, a game. West I mean, Ham I don't know if there are two I mean? London teams that could have matched up that well, I'm day. Sure I'm not they sure could if, yeah. you, if you sorted it out. I just think you know. To, I mean, it's bad enough for the Wolves fans, but the Chelsea fans to get back from well, the Midlands. It's I mean, just not good enough. One of the Wolves fans pointed out, out to us yesterday: not all of us live locally. Mm. Sort of expat, originally from the Very Black good Country. Point. Six hour yeah. round trip. Yeah, she yeah. said Molyneux was Vern. She's a season ticket holder, so you know it's, it's not just the Chelsea mm. fans. Not everybody is. Living round the corner. So, yeah, not ideal, is it? No, not at all. I've got a bit of fashion news for you. Oh, I'll good, yeah, yeah. In the Guardian. Here's the headline. Why are white shirt and jeans is the no-brainer look of the season? <laughs> Just white shirt and jeans. Look, I'm wearing it today. You're, is that white shirt? <laughs> well, it's a creamy white. It's a creamy white shirt. <laughs> it's England white. <laughs> oh, yes, it's, yes, it is. It's, you've got, in case they ask you to go and play for them in the remaining games. I was saying yesterday at Harmy, that's their penance. They've got like 17 more days there. They can't yeah. even get on the plane. They've no. got to play. Imagine Warner. <laughs> he's yeah. going to be chirping away well, and he's hitting hundreds for gonna, fun at the moment they're going to really give it to uh, boys you know how's it going how's the World Cup going they're going to be getting some clog out funny if they beat they? India though that would be quite amusing but they're not going to they're going to get absolutely slaughtered yeah but, you know, you I mean know. it's good look, I mean they're saying there's a chance now mm. to uh, to go out with a bang but uh, I, can you see it I mean there have been absolutely no. no signs of that and why would they I want to congratulate a couple of people I don't even if either of them are listening uh, one is Gardener Derek Hume, 62. Grown the world's heavy, he's grown the world's heaviest runner bean uh, in Stokes. So well done to him. Do you think the words 6.9 ounces and monster go together, though? Not really. <laughs> no, Not I really. And then we should uh, salute bus driver um, Abhishek uh, Bajaj, who is from uh, Gravesend in uh, Kent, and he stared for 16 minutes 30 seconds without blinking. To win a TV set. <laughs> yeah. To win a TV set in a shopping centre. That's fantastic. So, well done to him. So it's just like that great sketch, the world's staring competition. This glorious nation, just two people making it uh, what it is. I've got a good reader's offer for you, which is mm. it's got a, a, an intrinsic flaw in it, though, as they often do. Get cosy and keep warm with this soft zip-up robe that doubles as a wonderful throw. Yeah. Um, it's got all the things going. It's wearable, cosy, top-to-toe mm. warmth. Uh, then it says right at the end of it, one size. So once if you're six foot six or yeah. four foot eleven. <clears throat> we should get one for Adil Rashid because we had a wonderful throw from Sri Lanka's uh, wicket keeper yesterday, didn't we? Oh, to yeah. get him out. Yeah, that was a wonderful throw. That doubled throw. as a wonderful throw. <laughs> that was didn't a it? wonderful throw. It certainly did. I've got some planning news for you later oh, yeah. on. Good. Also, um West Ham beaten last night um in Paras by Olympiakos. Mm. And uh, there was big TIFOs everywhere mm. uh, the Olympiakos fans had put up. And one of them read Tonight, you dine in hell, which doesn't say much for the old stadium catering, does it, really? It's a solid one out of five for their pies. That's a very good point. Yeah, uh, tonight you dine in hell, it we, said. We should salute the Jobsworth of the day, though, the uh, the parking warden that gave Borussia Dortmund's team bus oh, yeah. a £50 ticket. Beautiful. What's the point That'll of teach that? you to beat us. <laughs> it is clearly what they meant, didn't it? And you're aware of this, folks. Yeah, Dortmund's team bus. Um, they, yeah, they managed to pick up. Uh, North Tyneside Council confirmed the vehicle had been fined after parking on Grand Parade. 
Um, t- we're going to talk about Chris Eubank later on because Steve Collins is coming in. And um, mm. in a past life, I was involved in a venture where I did a bit of work with Chris and this. had a few meetings mm. with him. And there was a place just off of a little square, just off a of marble arch up, mm. that, up that way. And um, Chris would drive his truck, this, this monster truck, into the West End and park it up. at least two parking spaces worth and I, I was, truck. And I was a, a sort of uh, arriving for one of these meetings at this place, and I said, <laughs> and then, <laughs> like I mean... ship, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. It was like an ocean-going <laughs> liner in this little kind of square at the back of Marble Arch in London. And he, um, he parked it up, and I, mm. I, I think I said to him at the time, are you in about three spaces there, Chris? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, don't worry, he said, don't worry. And we came out of the meeting, and there were ticket. I mean, there was no way they could clamp it. They honestly they would have been standing there scratching. They'd stuck a ticket on it, which he didn't seem at all worried about. But he really, really did not care at all. But, um, yeah, some spectacular parking from Chris. Because um, Steve Collins is in later. There's a new documentary, uh, Doing the Festival Rounds, and it's very interesting. It's It focuses mainly on... The first fight uh, over in uh, in Ireland that he had with um, Chris Eubank. An amazing career, actually, reading about. Yeah, it. one night in mm. Mill Street. It's called. It looks really interesting. Steve's going to tell us uh, a bit more about it later on. Um, we're going to be talking rugby next with Kieran Bracken. Stan Collymore's here. Went off to the Altmar game yesterday. Watched his boys put them to the sword. Very good performance by Villa. Mm. Um, and we'll salute Liverpool. We've got the. I mean, they're sitting pretty narrow in that group. It's all. Worked out very well. Um, and uh, Quinny joins us later mm. on because Movember's just around the corner. So we'll talk about one of football's great moustaches and indeed um, do a bit of Liverpool, Newcastle and more. Great night for Brighton. Yeah, very good result for them. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they've been slightly off it. They've got a lot of injuries. And so to go and see off, I mean, a pretty poor Ajax side oh, yeah, at the moment, but still. Not, they weren't great. But you they needed that program. win, didn't they? Roberto De Zervi, though, I noticed that he's got an excellently loud whistle. He whistled at one point. It's <coughs> as loud as the rest. I'm surprised he doesn't use it more, like when the opposition are through one-on-one. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It might work. Well, just, yeah. It's always a slightly different sound, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. A so that's all to come. James Graham makes a welcome return, the playwright uh, of Dear England, and um, Kelmat Center, who plays Raheem Sterling, will be joining us in the studio as well that's transferred to the uh, West End for a, a, a run I'm sure a lot of people even if they're not living in London maybe heading mm. down over Christmas to to catch that because it's uh, it's been very popular and yeah we are going to chat to Josh Durant who is running um, to every Chinese restaurant in the UK 7,021 of them <laughs> that's such a British thing to do isn't it um, so uh, we'll find out why. Plus, um, a new book on Basball from the Wisden uh, editor, Lawrence Boo. I think he'll join us as well. So that's all to come. Clips of the week and all that. And we're here with Toolstation. Grab uh, great deals across power tools and accessories now at Toolstation. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Well, uh, a, a new sports documentary. We love a sports documentary, mm. and there is a, a new one we, uh, well, I think we all look forward to seeing. It's doing very well at the festivals. It's called One Night in Mill Street, and it takes you behind the scenes of uh, a famous fight between Steve Collins and Chris Eubank. We'd like to say the two-weight world champion Steve Collins is with us. Good to see you, Steve. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, lovely to see you again. Well, it's it's a fascinating story. I mean, where does that first fight with Chris rank in your career? Is it right up there with the best nights? It's the greatest 
night of my career, mm. probably of my life outside of obviously family, mm. it, it uh, was something I wished, hoped, and never expected to, to get. It was it was an interesting <coughs> time for you, wasn't it? Because. Mm. You know, you were what thirty-one when you took that fight, and is that right? Was that the first fight? Yeah, I was um, current middleweight champion, and um, I had a lot of setbacks. I was in Hong Kong uh, training over there for a defence, and that fight fell through. Then I came back, and then my ambition was obviously to go back and fight in the United States in my old hometown of Boston, in the Boston Garden. That was happening, but I've been struggling to make weight, mm. not for a lot, for years. And I think I got to the stage at, at, at my age in life, I the weight cutting actually I think it affected me and, and um I was very ill <coughs> when over, went over in the States and, and um I was just too too weak to fight. So mm. the fight was cancelled in America. So I never got the chance to defend my middleweight title and I was considering uh, um retirement. Wow. I couldn't break onto the super middleweight scene. That was controlled by Chris Eubank. They weren't letting me in. Um his manager was also my manager, Barry Hearn who, you know, was happy to keep me at middleweight and leave Chris Eubank at super middle. So I, I remember sitting in, in the... Uh, we had an old uh, dig accommodation next door to the um, matroom office. Mm-hmm. And they, they sent for me to come into the head office and I walked in and, and Barry Hearn said, it's a lucky day. And I said, why is that? He said, well, Chris Eubank's opponent, Raymond Close, has failed a brain scan and he wanted a reptile opponent to take his place. We're going to stick you in to take uh, Ray Close's place. And don't worry about it if you lose, you're still middleweight champion. And at that moment, I thought, <laughs> at that moment, I thought, right, he's, he has a problem here because I'm yeah. not going to lose. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the end of our relationship. It, looking back on your career, it was a great career, wasn't it? 39 fights, 36 wins. The three losses came really early, so you just finished really strongly. Um, I never lost a fight in my life. I lost <laughs> decisions. And right, to be perfectly okay. honest with you, if I had got in the ring with somebody who beat me and I was at my best and they were at their best and beat me, I would have retired there and then and realised I wasn't the best out there. But my three split dispute decisions came all against world champions mm. in their um, backyards. You know, when, when you're fighting yeah. a Don King fighter on a Don King <laughs> oh, show... Yeah. You can knock him out. That's you always a yeah, And I, I didn't expect <clears throat> to win that fight. And my claim to fame mm. is I, I, I think I'm the only boxer on, on mm. record that Don King ever paid before a fight. Cause <laughs> I, I, no, in fact, I actually insisted that I would not enter the ring unless the money wow. was in the bank account because I, I knew I knew I'd have to, you know, I'd probably have to put the guy down 10 times and still not get mm. a decision. So I said, at least if I'm not going to get, you know, the, uh, a fair decision, I definitely want to yeah. get paid. So he actually paid me before I entered the ring. Mm. And, and this is right up until minutes before the fight because I had an agreement with my solicitor at the time who was a guy who grew up in my neighbourhood so we had a great rapport between us. We could talk, you know, in a, our language. I'm sorry, am I talking too much? Like no, you're fine. No, 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 no. I just have to, always I, have to keep an eye on the Irish, clock. I'm an, I'm an Irish no. right now. I've started talking. I always <laughs> have to keep an eye on no, the that's clock, what you were Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we had an agreement and, and, and uh, uh, the agreement was and my sister, my friend wrote up, solicitor friend wrote up that I would not enter the ring unless we had proof that the money had been lodged into the account and obviously we wow. had to get a, a lodgement letter confirming that. And Don King came into the dressing room screaming, shouting, he said, the fight's five minutes late, this show's got to get her on, you can't do this, there's, there's 8,000 fans out there. And I says, there is 8,000 fans out there and says, 7,500 Irishmen cheering me. <laughs> I said, so if I don't go well, I haven't got a problem, you have. And he, he, he leaned back and he laughed, not that big kind of he, he, he. Yeah. And he pulled out the envelope and he handed it to my solicitor. And my friend, Brian Delahunt, his solicitor, opened it and took his time. But three or four minutes, he read it. He folded it up, put it back in the envelope, gave me the nod and the wink. 
And I said, right, let's get gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a cheque or a cash? No, it was confirmation <laughs> that the money was in the account. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> so I don't want any cash. Yeah, people, no. people forget, when you, when you took this fight, um, I mean, Chris was the man, wasn't he? And we're, we're going to play a little excerpt there about how you tried to get under his skin because Chris says that wasn't an easy thing to do around fights. This is Chris in the documentary. You know, no one got underneath my skin. You know, I was always kind of objective. But he did a very good job. You see, he turned up, you got to remember, I'm champion of the world. So he turns up 45 minutes late. He comes dressed as an Irish countryman. He then proceeds to speak only in Irish. Excellent tactics. <laughs> a bit rich criticising the way you dressed, really. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I am an Irish gentleman. <clears throat> I still dress yeah. like an Irish gentleman. Yeah. I, I still farm, so I'm, I, I'm allowed to wear tweed. Yeah. What was the thing about listening to the headphones when Eubank entered the ring? When you're studying opponents... You, you don't just look at their physical style and attributes. You, get, mm. you want to get into their mind as well because it's, it's a mind game. And Chris Eubank was the master of mind games. Whenever he fought, everybody knew it's the Chris Eubank show and you're only a part bit in this play. And I understood this and I thought to myself, I can match him physically. Boxing skills and ability, <clears> I, I, can, <throat> I definitely can match him, at least match him if not outdo him. But I had to undermine this whole mindset because this was his show, it was the Chris Eubank show, and I had to remove that element to get inside his mind, because sport, boxing, is is is, is 85% mind and 15% physical, so I had to take away his his, his advantage of the, of the mind game, so we planted a seed at the uh, weigh-in, telling him that, um, how I'd been hypnotised, and that I would not feel pain, <laughs> I'd, ha I'd have, I'd have, I'd have, um, <clears throat> More mm. energy, I'd be punching harder, and if, <laughs> I, if I cut, I won't bleed. And he sat there looking at this, and, and it was gullible timing, and I said, if you want to discuss it more, speak to my hypnotist, hypnotherapist, Dr. Quinn. <laughs> and I, le I left the room. And the curiosity got the better Chris Eubank. He had to start asking questions, which was the worst thing to do, because this guy was a psychologist and knew what buttons to push. Mm. So Chris would say, what's going on? He said, oh, he said, I've hypnotized Steve. Steve will not um, feel pain. <laughs> Steve will get cut and won't bleed and his energy and his punch <laughs> power. Well, that was it. Chris Eubank just, boom. He wanted out. I mean, he was, wow. he, was, he was on television crying that night and it was, it was great fun for me looking at all this, you know, but then I woke up next morning and um, I picked up the tabloids, which I thought were very unfair because Chris Eubank sold a lot of tabloids and from being a hero, the headlines were you coward, you torn. I mean, all the Mm. Typical uh, uh, tabloid headlines, and I was getting all very excited. This is great, and he's, he doesn't want to fight, and he's afraid. And but then as I got close to the mm. fight, I realised, oh, this fight is actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I better, you know, I got to get my, my act together. And I did, um, I did really come and I entered the ring, and the whole uh, Chris Eubank's entrance. I'll give you an example. I saw him fight an opponent from Argentina in mm. London, and I knew I was going to fight my one. At some stage, so I, I, I watched them, and I watched the whole. I stood mm. back and I watched the whole audience. And this guy from Argentina entered the ring to booze and heckles and so on. He didn't even, he did not even hear his music because the, the crowd drowned her out. He came and he sat down in his corner, and whilst he was sitting in his corner, there was four giant screens around the ring, and these giant screens started to show clips of Chris Eubank knocking out people, and the 
music was was you know mm. the sound effects were up high. So you see Chris Eubank hitting somebody, a right hand landing on somebody's chin, and you hear boom and this guy falling over, and a clip would move down to another clip of hitting somebody else, then falling over, and Chris Eubank knocking all these people out on a giant screen, you know, blasted out on full volume. This little guy is sitting there watching this, and he's going, and I'm watching him watching this, and I'm going, <laughs> yeah, he knows this is, this is not his show. No. And then the, the entrance mm. begins, Chris Eubank entrance, which I have to say is the greatest entrance in, in, in boxing, I think. Simply the best, the music, the rockets, the flares, all starts kicking off. Mm. And Chris Eubank starts to enter the <coughs> ring, and everybody is up on their feet and clapping. They're all singing Simply <coughs> the Best. So I'm watching his entrance coming in, this little guy sitting in the corner, and his cornermen are dancing and moving to Simply the Best. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? These are mind games. i got to take this away. Yeah. And that was our trick and our plan, mm. was to remove that advantage. So it was all going great. I entered the ring to the Rocky music. It was like a movie. It was just... If you wrote, if you wrote this, if it, if it was a film, it'd be corny. But yeah. It was real. So I come in, the crowd's going wild, the heat of the place, the mm. jam-packed, everyone, everyone seemed to be, able to, to be able to touch it going by. It's all close. And I get to the ring and I turn to the crowd and the crowd go crazy. And then I walk over and I put my earphone, headphones on and I put my hood up and I sit in the corner because I knew his entrance but steal back the mind games and yeah. I cannot give him this edge because it's not about him anymore it's about yeah. me so again his amazing entrance starts I mean his, mm. this one I saw a video afterwards he's raced up on a platform on his motorcycle <laughs> and the music is going <clears> the <throat> rocket's going off and everyone's looking <clears> at him <throat> but then they're all looking at me <laughs> what's going on here he's sitting in the corner he's got his head down you can't see his face he's got, he can't, he's got, he's got earphones on mm. you can't hear the music I could hear everything Mm. You hear the whole lot. <laughs> no, so he comes down and whilst this was going on, somebody at ringside, I don't know whether they were from Sky TV or whether they were someone involved with him, mm. kept poking me and p touching me and poking me as if to say he's coming, you know, wake up, whatever. And it was so bloody annoying. <laughs> I wanted to turn around and say, <clears throat> Yeah, you're going to have to start. I had to ignore that, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm listening and I'm hearing simply the best and it's going on. And I said, Right, he's getting close to the ring. Mm. I know he's coming close. Keep it together. Keep the act up you know then I felt the ropes move and I said right he's now on the ringside he's got his hands on the ropes and then the ropes sprung and he, he hit the canvas like sense it on the canvas he's on the yeah. canvas his feet are moving keep it together keep going ignore him ignore him ignore him and then what happened was when he entered the ring he was looking at me they're all looking at me what's going on here so mm. I stole his entrance mm. so I'm sitting there <clears throat> I'm sitting mm. there right and I'm listening and we're being announced and I'm standing there and I, you know, I'm not going to get up to the la I didn't actually get up until the referee called my name and then I get up and I stood up and I, I threw the hood back and looked around as if, <laughs> as if I come out of a trance. I'm looking around, the earphones are getting removed and I see Chris Eubank mm. and I, you know, my, I put my eye, he was looking at me, he was staring, he was watching me and I put my eyes right into his eyes and I stared at him, right? And I started mm. walking towards him and you'll see something at this moment you probably never saw before in boxing. When two fighters are in the centre of the ring, the trainers stand there with their hands on the shoulder and they're looking, you know, towards you, they're trying to do the box and the referee's yeah. in the centre, you know, and the trainers are there and they're you know, massaging the shoulders and, you know, nothing's going on really except that. But when I walked towards the ring, I had him also scared that Chris Eubank's coach stepped around and put his hand up between myself and Chris wow. Eubank. I actually thought he <coughs> believed uh, Ronnie Davis I actually thought he believed that I was such a, I was such a <coughs> lunatic, I was going to go straight for him. He was afraid he was going to kick off before the bell. 
So I'm there, but and whilst this is all going on, yeah. I'm talking to Eubank. I'm telling Chris what's happening, what's going on, what's going mm. on, what I'm going to do. I mean, this was great. It was all happening. You come back, you know, you get your, you know, your Freddie King, who was a coach yeah, yeah. at the time. What a great trainer he was. London coach. He was part of the Eubank group. It was all mm. weird, right? He goes back, gumshield in, come out, bell rings, moving around, bang, he hits me and I went, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, Steve, we're no, out of so time. Good. We're out of time because the, the documentary sounds fascinating. Mm. It's not just about the fight. It's about the, the start of the Celtic Tiger roaring. It's a lot of optimism in Ireland at, at the time when Steve's winning these big fights and Nigel Benn and everything. So it's called One Night in Mill Street. It's It's been going down a storm at the festivals. Hopefully we'll all get to see it soon. It will have limited release, I'm sure, and uh, hopefully be on TV soon. But lovely to see you, Steve. Fascinating stuff. Always good to see you. So that's it. I'm out. Yeah, that was the easiest show we, ever. We've given a lovely <laughs> flavour of the documentary. Thank you very I'm looking much. Forward to seeing it. Lovely. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to you coming along. I've got some tickets if you want to join oh, yeah, us on, yeah. on the premiere. Great. Yeah, I'd love to. You do. Fantastic. Lovely to see you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for inviting me in. Well, we're going to be chatting to James Graham uh, very shortly, the playwright. Kelmet Senna's popping in. He's playing Raheem Sterling in Deer England in the West End. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. 
um, is it, it's pretty special. They've not had a play there for how many years? I think since like 1948, Second World War. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So because we, it, it always takes such a huge theatre. It's, it's a big one. Yeah. So it's always massive sort of musicals. And um, but Touchwood, thankfully, um, the reaction to uh, the first one of Dear England was so good. Um, yeah. And hopefully, because that was when I first started writing it, I always really hoped that. You know, sometimes theatre does have a problem, doesn't it, about getting people outside of that world to feel comfortable coming to see it. Yeah. And I thought if it's a play about the England football team, then hopefully as a crossover interest to, to sports fans, we yeah. might be able to pack them in. And then, yeah, it's going really well. Do you see many England shirts in the uh, in the audience? You actually, the, do, I, the main thing you actually see is like club, <laughs> people bring their club football tops. So you look out oh, at really? a sea of day. We're trying to measure like who who is mainly coming. I think Arsenal and Spurs are quite represented. Yeah. Oh, okay. Arsenal's up there. Yeah. 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 Arsenal's up there. Go, you play Raheem Sterling, yes. don't you? How yes. much? Research did you do into him and his story and oh, his hours. movements and his voice and everything? Oh, hours and hours, you know. Uh, the algorithm thought I was a, a massive stalker because <laughs> all that was coming up was Raheem Sterling news on Instagram and YouTube. Um, but yeah, I spent hours on YouTube trying to copy those physicalities, the movements, the voice and everything because um, it's it's an exciting thing to be playing, you know, such a prominent player yeah. and someone who's still very active. Um, so there's so much accuracy you have to copy with because it's not imagined it's like it's got a funny running style yeah yeah, yeah he yeah. does he yeah. does and uh, quite hard to pull it off on a raked stage um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we make it work we make he, it work he's had some tough times the media gave him a very hard time when he was coming up through the game mm, yes yeah and it's it's interesting i also looking at those things with with hindsight you know because you're I, I wasn't as aware in the heat of the moment but doing the research it's just it's unbelievable you know when you zoom out from a situation yeah. how dare he spend his money in all this it was a lot yeah, 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 yeah. All that double standards and yeah. the tattoo and everything like that oh, and the tattoo. Like, yeah. yeah but in a way i mean the play is sort of about how obviously it's about um the the technique and the, the physicality in the tournaments but it's also about the how gareth came in and changed the culture and the environment of the of the team mm -hmm. and i think it's what's so impressive is the way in which they they've they managed to find a, a, um, a way to unify around people so so mm -hmm. I, my understanding is raheem was incredibly well supported mm -hmm. by gareth and the team during mm -hmm. those tough times and it's not like a different kind of masculine culture previously where people just ignore it or there's no sense of being able to express your fear or your doubts or your anxiety mm -hmm. they really do i'm not saying it's quite like therapy but it is a bit like therapy like mm -hmm. they come into the room and they're supported in talking about the things that worry them and that means they can perform better as a team on the pitch we're going to play a little bit of the trailer mm -hmm. uh, give you a flavor of, of the play Dear England I can't possibly hope to speak for an entire country but I would like to share a few things with you as we begin this journey England needs a new story I don't think the problem's out there on the pitch I think it's here Pressure getting to you already is it? This is men dealing or not dealing with fear. I don't need to invite you all into my head. Thank you. Gareth. Yeah, Kel made the, the uh, tra trailer there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah five minutes of fame. Well, Joseph Fiennes, who Joseph plays Fiennes. Gareth, wow. it's uncanny. The yeah. voice, that is, that's yeah. amazing. It's not easy, though. It's really not, and we're really lucky. I mean, obviously, he's this incredible Shakespearean stage and screen actor, but, but, but it, and you might go, what is a Shakespearean actor doing playing Gareth Southgate? But it, <laughs> but it is, it's epic. Like, what Gareth went through from 1996... To, to 20 years later being the England manager that, that restored faith and hope in the, in the team and broke that penalty curse based on mm. his own lessons. It is sort of, as a dramatist, you look at it, it's so clean mm. as a narrative and so inspiring. Do you know if any of the people 
including Gareth or any of the players have, have been to see it? They haven't yet. Like a lot of historical players have. So we had David Seaman in this week, which is great. Mm. Um, uh, Gary Lineker, Ian Wright, uh, they've all been in. But um, no, I, I met with Gareth a bit at St. At St. George's Park and he helped me a lot with the research and things. I got to meet a lot oh. of the squad. But at the moment, I think their focus is elsewhere. I think they sort of, and I, I, I appreciate yeah. that as well. But we would love to have them whenever they're ready to come. Can yeah. you understand the criticism Gareth still gets? I mean, it's, he's almost still having to prove to some fans that he's done a brilliant job, which I think clearly he has. I mean, look, they, they call it the impossible job for a reason, don't they? It is, mm. like, it is like being the Prime Minister or the Archbishop of Canterbury. You're never going to please anybody, uh, everybody. But it's... Uh, I mean, it, not only is I think he really transformed the culture and the mindset of that squad... His results speak for themselves. Like semi-final, final, quarter-final. That that run run of of, of success mm. has not been replicated in, in mm. modern mm. history. Mm. And I know everyone goes well with this squad of players, a, gen- a golden generation of talent. Anyone could be doing that. But I I, I I'm I, the good the good, the good thing about a play is it's not like a tweet. You actually can have something called nuance in it and sure. you can be grey. Mm. And we do. I think we do absorb the criticism. We do uh, absorb the the scepticism about his in-game tactics. But overall, I think as a, as a national leader, I think he's he's pretty impressive. Mm. Can I can yeah. I you a football fan? Um, were you going into this? Did you support a team? Or? Yes, yes, football fan. Um, Arsenal. Uh, okay. so it's always been the team for the family. Uh, so yes, absolutely love football. And when I got the role, uh, my dad was over the moon because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like two worlds meeting. You know, he gets to see his son do something he loves, and you know he loves football as well. So it was uh, it was something special. And how do you think you'd be if uh, there was Reem sort of? Front row, sitting there <laughs> looking up. Oh wow, I'd be, I'd be nervous. <laughs> I'll tell you that much because you just, you just don't want to misrepresent someone, you know, uh, especially yeah. someone who's so active in the world today. Um, yeah, you just want to tell their truths as honestly as possible and just, yeah, re- represent the things they would. But also, would be very exciting if you're sat front row. Yeah, you know? yeah maybe might. they should bring the boys. I mean, around internationals, they can all just turn up in their tracksuits, <laughs> all sit on mass in yeah. a sort of block and, yeah, what, and watch it and. Uh, so you imagine the boys who aren't involved, some mm. of the current guys like James Madison, be giving them some stick no, for really. it, I would imagine. <laughs> well, what's really interesting, actually, is because we, we cover every tournament from 2018 to Qatar, so three mm. tournaments. Mm. And normally, the turnover of players would be a massive headache for a yeah. writer because you'd, you'd have many more characters. But pretty much that squad from 2018, if you think about it, Kane, Raheem, um, Maguire, uh, Henderson, they pretty much all stayed the he's course. He's very so loyal. That's, he's, that's, yes, some I mean, of the, that's one of the things people knock. Raheem in the last camp, I mean, yeah, had been, yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, sort of played angry for Chelsea. I mean, he wouldn't say that, but it certainly looked like he was because his form for Chelsea picked up when he didn't get involved in the last squad. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 it's tough. But it's. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, also, we, we cover that as well. We cover, um, you know, uh, Deli Ali is a character in the in the drama. Mm. Um, and we sort of, he represents how difficult it is to be dropped from the squad if you're, if you're not quite performing. Um, but also the, the care that Gareth tries to give to, to squad players who yeah. he can't select who he you, you mentioned it's a huge stage and the staging I, I hadn't realised because you think when you hear about it it's going to be a play but it's not yeah. it's, it's choreographed it's amazing isn't it yeah we try to capture the euphoria and the fever that happens in, in a stadium particularly during an inter- international game we have this incredible designer Ez Devlin who has just um, opened that weird orb in Las Vegas where you oh, two yeah. were playing that, and yeah. she does Beyonce concerts and things so it's, it's even though it's quite a sort of delicate story about how a soft guy called Gareth tries, tries to improve the mindset mm. of football players there's also proper spectacle in there as well mm. particularly around the penalty shootout because that is 
football at its most elemental and it is theatre isn't it of penalty mm-hmm. shootout it's all about character objective and spectacle mm-hmm. so a uh, 14 week run how many weeks are you in so far in the West End God, run? it feels like a million but about but two so okay. yeah, we weeks, run, yeah, yeah we yeah. run to like January and, and it's <laughs> a big theatre so there are plenty of tickets but they are selling pretty well at the moment yeah so. we sold out last time and we're selling really well this time so yeah right. we'd love uh, we'd love sports fans to be packing out the houses yeah and really. so you'll be running over Christmas we will of yeah. course yeah. so yeah. that's a great opportunity if people don't live in London to come in and, and see the play if they fancy a night out so uh, Prince Edward Theatre yep, is cool. uh, where it's playing for the next 12 weeks or so and uh, yeah well look, good to see you again James you Carl, thank you very much for coming yeah. in we appreciate it oh, and uh, we wish you well with the rest of the run what thank else you. what are you turning your attention to next I suppose you can't tell us I can tell you I'm doing a, I did a TV show on BBC One last year called Sherwood uh, set in my hometown oh, in Nottingham yeah, so. Dave Morrissey's Morris, been in a few yeah. times to chat about oh yeah he's yeah. great he's it was brilliant great. so yeah. do, you've done that second series doing a second series of that yeah and then uh, a few other things here and there brilliant yeah, yeah, okay very good Thank well, you. good to see you both. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's James Graham and Calmet Senna there. And uh, as we said, Dear England at uh, the Prince Edward Theatre in London for 12 weeks or so. It's Paul Hawksby and Andy Jacobs here on TalkSport. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Yes, it's time to reflect on a week of sport on TV in the company of squad number nine, the king of overnights here at TalkSport. Weekends, it is Martin Kellner. Good afternoon, Martin. Good afternoon to you boys. You all right? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah we, we're going to talk about the, the many tributes first to, to Bobby Charlton this week. Yeah, there were, I mean, there were loads of them. I think probably for you know younger football fans may not be 100% aware why, why the fuss, what was the fuss all about? You mm. know, why were people saying he was the greatest of all time? And if you watch the uh, documentary on BBC, I think it's still there on the iPlayer, uh, Bobby Charlton, First Gentleman of Football, which is one that they've, it's an old one, but it's mm. been and sort of re, uh, refocused a wee bit yes. to, to take account of it. And you know it's an old one. I mean, it looks current, but you know it's an old one because it's written by the great uh, Eddie Butler, who oh, we also really. lost, yes, of we course. Also lost yeah, yeah. about a year ago, mm. just more than that. Um, and it was, I mean, I think it's a great pro. Christopher Eccleston narrates it, so it's a classy show. Yeah. And you see, uh, you see a bit of Bobby Charlton pre-Munich, and he was one of the lads, you know, you can yeah. see him uh, as uh, Harry. It's always difficult to listen to Harry Gregg's uh, testimony about the the Munich crash yeah. without tearing up, to be honest. I mean, Harry Gregg was very much the hero mm. uh, of that. And he talks about, you know, before the crash, um, Bobby Charlton and Dennis Violet were playing around, being like kids. They're on the plane and, uh, you know, they're being basically kids which of course he was at that stage and then you see the extended interview done in the early 2000s with uh, Bobby Chon who always seemed to be um, even you know when he was you know when he was talking about successes that United had he always seemed to be in some ways, a broken man. It was a kind of melancholy. Is the Very word that mel- comes melancholy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you know, you get the idea of it from that. You know, and the greatness of it, and you compare it to today, where if you'd been through something like the Munich crash and you'd seen teammates die, etc., etc., you would have counselling. Yeah. You'd be looked after. I mean, I heard you talking about it earlier in the week with yeah. uh, Perry. Actually, yeah. You know, you'd get you'd be looked after sure. by the club, and of I course. Mean, 
Something we never really, nobody ever really talked about them, but do now. Something like survivor's guilt, which yeah, is, which is totally. very difficult, isn't it? When, yeah. you know, what, and he mentions that in the interview. Mm. He says, you know, he asked himself constantly over the years, why, why did I survive? You know, and obviously his great pal was Duncan Edwards. Sure. Sadly, there's only one real clip of Duncan Edwards, which I've seen s- several times. Yeah. Um, they always show that same clip, which is a shame, you know, because uh, clearly, I mean, I was, I'm just slightly too young to remember the heyday of, you know, Duncan Edwards mm. and Peg and all those mm. people. But uh, growing up in Manchester, as I did, you know, I was born and brought up in Manchester. Um, the Well, for a start, I do like to see clips of Manchester in the uh, mid-50s and the early 60s, because uh, it was all black and white then. Was, <laughs> there was no colour in Manchester at all. Everything, <laughs> everything was black and white. Yes. Um, Fortunately, there's a lot of footage of Bobby John. Yeah. You do get the sense of what a brilliant player he was. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable the way the, the weight of those cases that you you know you had to um, mm. pick up out the out the mud and yeah uh, you know it wasn't a oh, yeah so, yeah. I, I mean, how, how he ran with the ball on those pitches, how he struck the ball. Uh, he used to kind of another one of those a bit like Trevor Brooklyn, almost seems to sort of skate yeah. across the top of it like Ozzy Ardiles and glide across yeah, the pitch. Totally. You know? I mean, but quite apart from him as a footballer, it's uh, well worth watching. Also, there's there's clips in this one. Um, this BBC one of the uh, World Cup, the, the World Cup final in '66, that we've not seen that much. And mm. um, watching again the uh, the equaliser that took the game into extra time, make it two all. Um, I'm sure there was a German player in an offside position. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> Can't might, VAR get involved? Yes, yes. It, <laughs> might, it might have been Helmut Haller, but there was certainly there was a German player who was in an offside when the ball came into the Let uh, it go, penalty. Do you think so? <laughs> it's only. It's only 50. Goal line technology the would have been good, wouldn't yeah. it? Yes, so you feel that that is the one. That's of, the one of to the watch. One you've you seen. Know, and yeah, and yeah. It was. I mean, all the stuff that you. His brother Tom is a brilliant witness on that program as yeah. well. And uh, there's some there's some great moments in it. Uh, Jimmy Murphy's son is on it a fair bit. Uh, Jimmy Murphy, of course, looking after the young players, the Busby Babes yeah. at that stage, who said he saw his youngsters as like an orchard, and Bobby Charlton was the golden apple. <laughs> uh, and you, you know, you get a good idea of just how just how great he was mm. um and you know and all the family stuff as well with his, he fell out with his brother and we've read about it on the papers mm. but i think it's good to see uh and uh, like i say christopher eccleston does the uh, narration and it's written by eddie butler who was a great writer for the observer sure and, uh, fine rugby player for wales so as well. it's it's about, i'll be on the iplayer that's on it? the bbc iPlayer. Yeah, it's okay, well, well, worth, we'll, uh, we'll we'll check that out um now um turning to boxing, the, the fight of. tomorrow the Francis and Garner versus the from the world of MMA versus Tyson v- Tyson Fury, of course, yeah. in the world of boxing. Indeed, and I'm not keen on these fights, no. to, to be honest. I, I tend um, to agree. However, obviously TNT, it's a pay per view, and they're, they're they're plugging it. They even covered the press conference for the undercard, mm. uh, and they had a special program <coughs> with uh, Rio, who's uh, who's it was a great interview. I like Rio mm. doing interviews with uh, with Tyson Fury. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Uh, with, uh, with, <coughs> I'll get there. He, so he's getting emotional now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's told just a mere thought of uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tyson Fury versus an MMA yeah. fighter has gotten quite emotional. But uh, Tyson Fury very entertaining <laughs> on this uh, thing. He, and he, he, Tyson Fury. 
likes a bit like um, um, a bit like Eubank. He does mm. like to come up with old classical quotes. Yes, and he said, like the great Roman general said, yeah. there'll always be someone to fight. But of course, the great Roman general, whichever great Roman general, which one was, was it? I don't know, but he wasn't trying to flog it on PPV. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but he was wearing a bizarre trouser suit. Um, Right. Tyson Fury. I've never seen it. It was sort of like pa- a paisley trouser suit, which, have a look at it, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a massive f- fan of John Fury. He's quite irritating. No, and he's got, yeah. a, book, he's got a book out, hasn't mm. he? But yeah. every, everybody's got but a he's book always, out. But he's, always, very, he's yeah. always good fun at a weigh-in, doesn't he, oh, where he, yes. he kicks off and apologises for kicking yeah, off, and then yeah. the next one he kicks off again, doesn't he? He does, and at the moment especially, because as I say, he's got a yeah. book out. Just I think be- it may have been Gaius yeah. Marius who said that. Did he? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I don't know if he quite said it like that. I think he said, there'll always be someone to fight. You dosser. Is that what That's he said? exactly yeah, what, he said. what he said. So, yeah. That's probably why Tyson. So is it Gaius turns Marius? Yeah, I think yeah. It, it could be him. There'll yeah. be talk sport Gaius listeners. Marius Piper, if you want to use yeah. his full name, yeah. of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. very good. There'll be talk sport <laughs> listeners. You know, as soon as I came up with that quote, so we'll be yeah. saying, that was Gaius Marius, Mrs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, be that. Um, yeah the, I'll tell you what, what did um, trouble me slightly on the uh, Rio meets Tyson is they bleeped out the swearing, even the swearing which you thought was not. And I thought, why? Hmm. Why bleep? Leap out the swearing in a program about. Do you uh, like swearing, boxing. Martin? I think it's big and I think it's clever. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> big fan of swearing, they, Martin Kellner. I always remember him. Big fan of swearing. Yeah. but they bleeped it all out. But I couldn't see the point of that. And yet, if you go on to, um, I mean, what, when you've listened to the, to your podcast and mm. the extra bits and everything, oh yeah, and you go on to the rest is football, which is um, Gary Lineker with um, uh, Michael Richards and Alan Shearer. Yeah. Mm. They swear like troopers on that. Oh, yeah. And that yeah, seems to do. be the USP is they're going to swear. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just the same as the you know the BBC podcast that they do. So I can't see with the added point. swearing. With added swearing. Okay. Do you two, you two don't swear on yours? We much, try not to. Well, yeah. On the extra you. one, you have been known. To I have been yeah, known to slip bit. into the yeah. vernacular, not you know not working yeah. completely from the blue book. And the, the <laughs> other thing is, I, I get uh, I get tweets from time to time. Mm. Complaining about various things, but complaining about this spot and saying that I tend to review sports documentaries mm. rather than the uh, scabrous cutting thing that I used to do in The Guardian where I right. take uh, pundits to task. Mm. So for that person who always okay. tweets me about that, I'd just like to say... I can't see the point in Darren Fletcher and Jermaine Jenis together. It's just they go on and on and on. Right. You know, I think when he's doing it with Ali, uh, I think it's fine. And, you know, mm. the, on the European matches. I don't know, is Jermaine Jenis a regular pundit on no, this? No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. no, no. I mean, so I've got to be this, you're, you're in, Mike, uh, Martin, you're entitled to your opinion. You come yeah. in as a, as a, uh, Thank as, you. As a critic. Just like talk it. too much. They okay. just go on and on and on. And oh. I don't see any particular... Uh, analysis in it. You know, Darren Fletcher will say, you know, he's missed that one and uh, then uh, Jermaine Jenis will say yeah, he should have tested the goalie there mm, yeah, and yeah. There's a, you know, the least he can do is hit the target. He's got to be hitting the target from this range. Mm. I mean, I know a lot of them do that, yeah. but it's just... Yeah, but how good is Ali McCoyster? Ali McCoyster's brilliant. Is that Ali McCoyster's is knowledgeable mate? That's yeah. what it is. And yeah. I'm not just saying that because he he's does stuff here. No, no, no. I mean, there I mean, are various people I'd like to take for the cleaners, the but, you know, I know yeah. you have yeah. him in on a regular basis. So <laughs> but, it is, but it's so interesting, right. isn't it? I mean, but I, when you analyse what Ali does as a co-commenter, I think what it is, maybe like maybe Andy's right, it is the kind of sitting with a knowledgeable mate. Yeah. You know, we often sort of say this about Tony mm. Cascarino when we chat with Tony. Mm. Well, he's got an original take on yeah. something, a different thought. I think sometimes, you know, just people, some people yeah. 
are good at that, you know. Yeah. They just uh, well, I won't hear a word said by anybody against Tony Cascarino yeah. because he always says hello to me when he comes in here wow. in the middle of the night on a Saturday morning. You're going to be stymied little, when Darren yeah. Fletcher and um, Jermaine Jennings come in and say hello. They're, they're, you're going to have to start not, being nice uh, to them, won't yeah, you? Yeah. Um, so I've got yeah, I've got to be careful. Darren does, yeah. this, he does listen saying. to the show. He does listen. He does, and, uh, he's very uh, good. Fans of his commentary, yeah. got to yeah. be honest. Oh, um, I'm not. You just think it's that combo, do you? I just think it's the combo. I think it's the two of them. I think. They just, I don't know why, but I just think the two of them talk too much together. Okay. And, you know, as for Jermaine Jenis on the one show. Uh, anyway, that's... <laughs> okay. well, maybe, I don't know, maybe they, they might take that on board, I don't know. No. I mean, he's a very likeable personality, and yeah. he's very personable. Yeah. And I think that's why the BBC like him so much. Yeah. And the BBC like him on various matches of the day. Yeah. They had him on Question Time once. Did they really? They had him uh, on Question Time. I missed that one. Possibly the worst Question Time there's ever been with wow. David, David Dimbleby. Right. Um, they dropped Match of the Day X, though, haven't they? They've dropped Match of the Day X. Um, nothing Martin's, to do with me. That was I didn't, Martin's favourite no, Show. <laughs> I used to enjoy that. Actually, it just needed, it needed more Rob Wilton, didn't it? It just felt you felt it lacked Rob some archive Wilton. footage of old musical <laughs> yeah. comedians. Really, the, the day war broke, out. so the kids That's could Rob get Wilton's a feel for that. Some uh, <laughs> marvelous, but <laughs> yeah, Rob Wilton, fantastic. <laughs> so, Martin, you're back overnight. I am back overnight with. Uh, I can't tell you exactly what we've got, but with there your, will be with your posse, with my posse. Yeah, there yeah. will be a, a tribute to Richard Roundtree. We'd oh, like, okay, you know, okay. Of uh, Shaft, because oh, uh, yeah. we do we do a little tribute to somebody who we've lost that week. Yeah. Obviously, um, Bobby Charlton last week yeah. uh, was huge, and Bill Kenwright. There'll be a little bit of a tribute to. Uh, okay, to so him from one well. a.m. From one a.m. Anybody who likes the theme from Shaft and the Z Cars theme, oh. we'll hit that demographic spot Perfect. on. Perfect. Okay, yeah. from one a.m. overnight tonight and into tomorrow. Martin, yeah. thank you. Do you want, you're, you're down in the smoke because you're off to West Ham West on Ham Sunday. And, yeah, very very early kickoff, and that's how, you know I have to put my alarm on. Oh wow! Well. Obviously, I'm up till like six o'clock in the morning. Well, enjoy. Yeah. It's for the lunchtime. Not much controversy over the lunchtime kickoff. The one at one p.m. kickoff, which is very yeah. unusual. I know it is for um, a Sunday, isn't yeah. it? Normally a two o'clock, isn't it? Two but then we got that three yeah. thirty Manchester derby. Yeah. Is it because the and the clock's got an extra hours kit the, though, Martin? Yeah. No, well, there's an extra extra hour on the show. You've got to do an extra oh, hours work. It's, oh no, an extra hours work. They upped your uh, money. Uh, no, but I will tell you what the nightmare scenario is. Yeah. I get the hour back mm. when the hours go forward. Yeah. So I only have to do uh, like um, oh, wow. three hours. I do an hour less. The nightmare scenario is if I get sacked between this one you get and no the benefit. other one, I get no benefit. <laughs> There's every chance. Yeah. Every chance. Every chance. Martin, we'll see you later. Thanks very much. Martin Kilner. We've got Tom Macklin looking at the world of American sport next. And we've got some clips of the week still to come. We're here with Toolstation. Grab great deals across power tools and accessories now at Toolstation. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. There we are. That's how it all unfolded this afternoon. Myself and Andy are back on Monday. Danny Kelly will be joining us as always to look back on the Premier League weekend. Do hope you can join us. If not... The podcast will be available, as always, at around four o'clock. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.